Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, October 25th, 2023, and today we're bringing you three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last seven days. And as we do each week, we take our news stories from uh, our newsletter each week uh, that comes out on Mondays called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And we look at the themes of, uh, of what's happening out there in international education. And we kind of distill down those news stories into three themes or questions that we answer here on Wednesdays. And for those of you who are eager to subscribe to that newsletter so that you get that in your email inbox Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, I've just dropped the link to our website, smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. And then you'll also have on that site, uh, the uh, just put in your information, scroll down to the uh, information to subscribe and drop in those details and you'll get that newsletter in your email inbox every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, the most recent edition of the newsletter, uh, the link will be also in the comments section on all the different platforms uh, that SMIE has uh, so on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, and LinkedIn. Uh, we're also going to be launching on our Instagram channel as well through, through lives. Uh, but we're glad that you're part of the conversation here today, and thanks for uh, joining in today, Moses. And in what we'll do today, if you don't like uh, the email version and you just prefer to get your email on the run or get your editions on the run, I'll also drop the link to a LinkedIn version of our newsletter. Uh, between the email version and the LinkedIn version, uh, we now have weekly over 1,400 subscribers uh, to the newsletter, so we're really uh, pleased and just humbled by the number of folks that are making this newsletter, SMIE Consulting, all the SMIE news fit to share, a part of their regular weekly international edification. And in case you're wondering what SMIE stands for, that's Social Media and International Education Consulting. Uh, for the last year and a half, I've been very fortunate uh, to uh, have been employed full-time by the University of Nevada, Las Vegas as their Director of Global Recruitment and Partnerships. And as part of my uh, uh, role at the university, I, I asked, uh, I've been doing this, these live chats and the newsletter for, uh, for the last uh, almost oh, over six years now, and now have, um, I've, I've been able to continue doing that as part of, uh, in addition to the work that I do for UNLV, and often I talked about them here on the channel as we grapple with some of the issues that we're dealing with uh, each week in international education. So thanks so much for, for being a part of the conversation. Again, for those who like uh, watch us live here on Wednesday afternoons, really grateful for you making time for us. I know it's not easy to watch live, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is in your in your part of the part of the world, but uh, we really appreciate you making an effort uh, to include uh, this uh, in your international edification, and also those who uh, watch on repeat, either on, on any of the social channels or li listen to the audio-only podcast version, which is available on all major podcast providers. Just look for SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup, and we'll be uh, popping up there in uh, your uh, podcast feeds. So let's get right to our questions of the week. First up, are you happy with how stealth prospects see your site? Now, this is one of those topics that I absolutely love because it goes, it combines two of my favorite 
passions in life, social media, in professional life at least, social media and digital formats and international education. So uh, digital communication channels have become absolute prime channels for how we communicate with prospective audiences around the world. Uh, but what we've seen over the last uh, 20 years or so, we, as, the, as internet penetration rates increased, as uh, availability of access to our information online has increased, we are, are beset by um, this phenomenon we call in the U.S. Uh, stealth applicants. These are folks who the first point of contact we have, we usually have a contact list, prospect list that we've um, uh, been cultivating, sending messages to over the months since we bought their names or met with them in person or collected a test score, whatever it might be. Uh, those communications oftentimes, uh, for, for those that we already know about, are there's a standard process we put them in in our communication flows and all that. But there are many more students, prospective students, who find out information about us online that we never know that they're interested and until they apply. And that's stealth applicant uh, phenomenon. But let's push it back a little bit and talk about these stealth prospects. All the folks that, all the hits your website gets, all the journeys that people uh, visit your website take to get to information that they need, uh, it, it leaves you wondering, all um, uh, web managers all around the world are familiar with this concept, is that, that, that journey, prospect journey through your website. And how long do they spend on your site? What pages do they interact with? How likely are they? Or did they fill out a contact form where they would actually get more information? Or did they just do research about your, uh, about your institution from what they see and can find from the main links to your content online on your web pages? So there are two particular articles I'm referencing uh, related to this topic this week. Uh, one is um, from ICF Monitor uh, that talks about how good homepage design can encourage stealth applicants toward enrollment. And the other is an upcoming webinar uh, related to that on uh, Google search for prospective students, uh, the impact of it. Uh, and ask the question, are you curious about the fate of individuals or prospective students who are newly introduced to your school through search engine results and website content? So that's a um, related topic. So that's a three enrollment marketing session that's coming up uh, actually tomorrow, tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're available uh, I would and have the interest in this and the SEO and that kind of thing is part of your, uh, your portfolio at your institutions or pass it along to someone who, who does have that responsibility I think it's a useful exercise to have have someone at that uh, uh, at that conversation at that webinar to at least get registered and get the information uh, recorded recordings of the of the session slides whatever it might be that they're and they're putting out for this. But that uh, that session obviously talks about Google searches. So that's how most students find you is they search for institutions either colleges in the United States, or maybe they do know about your institution, they've heard about you before, but they, they search for you by name. And then one of the first things hopefully that pops up if, uh, if your SEO folks are at your institution are doing their jobs is your institutional URL, uh, www.yourinstitution.edu. And if it's international students, maybe there's a slash international piece or uh, website link off your main page. But uh, I guess obviously the what we're talking about here is are the first impressions international students get, the prospective international students, before they're even on your radar, are those first impressions the ones you want them to have that put your institution's best 
what I call web foot forward. And I did a session about this topic back in 2006 uh, when I was uh, at Ball State in Indiana. It was a regional NAPSA conference. I know this is the season for regional NAPSA. Many folks are in uh, Quebec right now for uh, for uh, for the re bi-regional 10 and 11. Uh, so it's good to good to see all the posts coming in from on LinkedIn and Facebook of uh, colleagues who are at those regionals. Um, but these are the, this is the kind of session that I've always had an interest in. Uh, is your website presence, particularly for international students, and that's why I really like this ISIF Monitor piece. It's one of the better articles I've seen over the last few years related to, that talks about uh, website content specific to international students. That Does it move the needle for those visitors to your site towards applying, towards enrollment? And that's the thing that I think uh, we all struggle with, uh, is how well does our websites uh, for our institutions, the various pages where prospective international students should find them, find themselves getting to. Uh, we hope that it has the information that they provide. Uh, this is the, one of those battles for real estate in, uh, in, virtual, uh, in the virtual world for institutions. Who gets control of your web page, your home page? Uh, what's the main purpose of your website? Is it for prospective audiences uh, rather than alumni or faculty or athletics or whatever? Shouldn't it be for prospective students? And that's what many institutions are moving towards these days is that that content, that hero image or video uh, needs to really engage the student and drive them towards engaging more with your site. So whatever that looks like. So the ICEF article does touch on a lot of the, the themes here, talking about uh, the, the actual journeys of international students going to school and university websites to research whether they, an institution is the right fit for them. But uh, also talks about how not all institutional websites consider what stage of research uh, students are at, and some are not appealing to a larger segment of students, and that those are the stealth applicants. Again, those that are don't make themselves known to you until after they until they actually apply, and the key that they uh, this I really appreciate what this uh, ISF Monitor article focuses on is the need to develop a range of international student personas to address students at each stage of the enrollments funnel. Those that are just in that initial searching stage, those that are ready to apply, those that are, uh, are have applied but uh, and have been admitted, uh, but maybe are still have doubts or deciding between institutions, and those that are committed and ready to come. What what are the personas you're putting forth through your messaging, through your website content at different stages in that enrollment journey that can meet those students where they are, those prospective students where they are. And that's always the challenge. We don't know who, who's out there all the time visiting our sites. We see numbers and journeys through our site and we can uh, guess potentially where they are in the world, uh, uh, what devices that they're coming with, all the Google Analytics that you can pull from your site. That really helps paint a picture of who the typical students are that are coming to your pay, to particular parts of your website, where in the world, how much time, uh, devices that they're coming uh, uh, accessing your site from, mobile or desktop or laptop, whatever it might be, tablet. Uh, these are the things that uh, we, we know numbers, but we don't know necessarily uh, do they always lead to applications. And that's the, that's the challenge that we, we have in the digital world is, is tracking that process for students. Uh, the ISEF Monitor article does talk about uh, that, 
from uh, research from Uniquest, a uh, uh, UK-based company that's expanded into the U.S. and other markets uh, to uh, take over a lot of uh, messaging for institutions to prospective students. Uh, they've, they've done a really good job of that over the years, and uh, certainly I have a high opinion of them myself. Uh, but that where, where, what students are looking at, uh, that they say that the vast majority of international students never make contact with the university, college, or school they apply to and receive offers from. Half of the students use only the university website as an information source before applying. So it's those students in particular that UniQuest focuses on, okay, with these stealth applicants that are just looking at your website. Does it answer the questions about what's needed for admissions, what the costs are, what the scholarships are, what the deadlines are, what the English proficiency uh, requirements are? Uh, does it have that content all in one easily accessible place? And I can say, for, uh, for example, we don't have that yet at UNLV. I've been advocating for it. Uh, and we're moving in the right direction towards getting all the right information that these stealth applicants need in one place. So that's that's a journey for all of our institutions. And some some of our offices we don't we have maybe have our own web webmasters for our section of the site. Uh, others it, you may have to go through uh, central uh, marketing communication offices that may take time and effort. Uh, but making the case why you need these things oftentimes is a struggle in and of itself and convincing leadership that, hey, this page is our main focus for our international applicants. We, we need to have as much of or at least easily accessible from that site without them having to jump through three or four or five hoops to get that information. That needs to be readily available because they're making decisions on whether to apply that we'll never know whether they, <laughs> those that don't find it, find the information they need on our sites. We don't know that because they're already gone and, and have moved on to another institution. Those that actually persist and do apply, we're very grateful for, obviously, but we need to make it as easy as possible for students who come to our site, uh, who are, are using, the web, using our websites as their decision to whether to apply or not, that information has to be there. If it's not, we lose, uh, lose a good number of, uh, more, probably more than we'll ever realize, lose a percentage of, of applicants that we could have had and should have had if we had had the right content on our sites. So great article from ICF Monitor in terms of getting the students' attention, uh, whether they're just or they're checking you out, whether they're when and certainly when they ask for information, when they apply, when you offer admission, when they enroll, those different stages in the process, having the personas that help uh, students get the content that they need and the messaging that they need from you on your site through live chats, through other pieces, digital tools that you're, you're directing them to throughout that student journey. Talks about the, the importance of using video or impactful photography showing campus life and student experiences. Uh, the, uh, the, what, what the programs are, the academic programs that students have a chance to apply for. Uh, not being overly artsy, unless you're in art school perhaps, but uh, that connects students uh, with that information that they need. Uh, and that call to actions uh, should not just be for apply now. <laughs> that maybe it is, uh, uh, they, they, they call it in the article, the overused and ineffective apply now messaging. So the, those call to actions need to be, need to be varied uh, in terms of what you're, what you're looking for and that the, recognizing that students are at different stages. Want to learn more, uh, request more information, request information. So a lot of great content in this article and ones uh, certainly I, I recommend taking a look at 
uh, the the kinds of things that you need to know uh, in terms of content, in terms of format, in terms of structure that you want to have on your website that can meet students where they are in their journey and can be dynamic enough to have the kind of content that adjusts to what that individual students are that are at that initial, I'm just checking you out, researching you, just high level stuff, to, well, I'm ready to commit. And I, they, they all have different needs at various, at all the different stages in that admissions journey in their enrollment uh, funnel. So the design needs to accommodate different types of students. Uh, that personas, as they, as they point out in the article, need to reflect uh, where the students are, uh, how much money students will need for studying abroad, uh, whether they've got scholarships, uh, where they are in the dif in different stages of the enrollment funnel, uh, whether they're looking at one major or more more than one ma academic program, and other other factors. So these personas can really help delineate, as they say in the article, logical paths you would like each student at the different stages to take through the website and to reflect those paths in your nav structure. Uh, you want to have pages, as they say in the article, relevant to all international students and pages that appeal to niche segments from a particular country or particular region when it comes to how their credentials will be evaluated. Will three-year, like for example, will three-year degrees in India be accepted? And uh, what, whether, uh, how many backlogs you can have from India? That Those kinds of questions, if that content's available on your site, that's showing uh, recognition to those students who are in that situation that, hey, they know the kind of kind of backgrounds you're coming from and issues that you're facing. So these are the things that I think uh, I really appreciate uh, ISEF putting into into practice in this article and providing the kind of guidance that uh, is so important for uh, for international admissions and recruitment experts to have that kind of content that could best reflect uh, what your institution's messaging really is at all the different stages of that en enrollment process. So thanks to, um, to the folks at ISEF for putting that one on. Now, I do want to quickly go over to question number two. And this is one that I, I, I always like. Uh, I, we always hear and see articles about almost, almost weekly these days about the importance of diversification of our international student in, uh, recruitment efforts in terms of where they're coming from. Uh, in the past, it was all about China. In the, from the mid '90s to the to the to the pandemic era, era we were all about China. Uh, undergraduate Chinese students were the rage. Every college and university was being flooded with applicants from uh, China, uh, and without really having to try um, in the early '90s and or mid mid to late '90s and early teens. But then competition increased, and uh, some institutions didn't really, who didn't have to work really hard in the past started finding it more difficult. Why are all, all of a sudden our Chinese numbers going going down in a different direction? And, and that might, might have been relative to the amount of effort they were trying to engage with uh, those those prospective students in market and responding to students that had come in the past, not maybe not had the best experiences, gone home and told their friends that hey, it wasn't maybe not the best place to be. So how are you responding uh, to uh, changes in, in world events? Uh, like the pandemic obviously should, took everyone off guard, but um, how do changes in the, well, we just, there was a webinar this morning from, uh, from the uh, consular section in uh, Abuja 
in Nigeria about uh, consular conversation about student visas uh, and the challenges there. And they've obviously in Nigeria have had significant uh, uh, currency collapse with the Naira uh, and how that's impacted students' ability to to have the funding to pay for their expenses, but also talked about the other issues related to that. Uh, that we have challenges all around the world where uh, we're now uh, facing another uh, war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, uh, and that has implications beyond uh, just Israel and Palestine. Uh, it has impacts on the region, and we've seen uh, uh, our, I'm sorry, most of our institutions uh, once the uh, alert went out last week about uh, the uh, State Department worldwide travel caution, uh, which was the equivalent to a level two travel warning on their level one to four scale. Uh, one is normal, two is heightened caution, three is uh, some risks, four is don't go. Um, this is equivalent, this worldwide caution is equivalent to a level two. But we've seen even within the Middle East, in Lebanon, there's been evacuations of U.S. personnel uh, from, that, uh, from that country. We've seen uh, international students uh, from, that were studying in Israel, uh, 253 Nepalis uh, evacuated back to Nepal after some Nepali students were caught up in the October 7th attacks. So all of this, all of this is to say interna international student diversification it is something we all have on our list of things to do. Uh, there was an article, and why this is uh, why we put this in this week. Uh, there was an article in um, the Pi Review, and uh, for those that aren't getting that, if you're subscribing to uh, the Pi News, you, you, you've probably seen this, uh, seen seen the. the the emails that came through last week, uh, they've released them quarterly, I think, or a magazine, and it has some top-of-the-line articles and really more in-depth than our typical news news stories each week. Uh, and this one is, uh, one of the kind of sub-theme of this article is diversifying international student cohorts is a priority for institutions and governments in major host nations. But how far can we actually influence where students are coming from? So that's the theme of the article, and it addresses uh, the, the various um, efforts that uh, uh, different countries have made to diversify. Uh, talks about in Canada back in 2000, uh, 2010, uh, I'm sorry, in 2017, uh, Canadian politicians criticized the arrest of a Saudi civil rights activist by the state of Saudi Arabia. In retaliation, the Saudi government expelled Canada's ambassador and told it's approximately 8,000 students in the country to leave. So in 2017, that resulted in 8,000 Saudis, fully funded Saudis, that were uh, populating Can Canadian institutions to leave the country. Uh, we're seeing something similar happening for, again in Canada, but related to India this time. There's, uh, there was an assassination in Canada of a Sikh activist uh, from India who was uh, had been living in Canada that was um, uh, ask, uh, kind of advocating for separation from India, uh, the Sikh population in uh, the north of the country, the Punjab in particular, uh, advocating for separation that, um, that uh, when that uh, the Canadian government uh, issued a warning uh, uh, to, uh, to, to India, uh, to the government in India, that uh, this kind of, these kind of assassinations are uh, they, the, 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 the evidence was not uh, made, oh, made available as to that tying the Indian government to this assassination of the Sikh activist that was in, living in Canada. Uh, that uh, was uh, was troubling, and that India, as a result of Canada's um, 
reaction to to the to India's um, in, to the Indian government's supposed involvement in this, uh, they Indian government issued a warning to its nationals in Canada uh, to exercise utmost caution after uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, said that uh, the Canadian government was going to look into the details related to this uh, death of the Sikh activist. So uh, this may lead to this has led to a call for um, parity from India in terms of uh, the number of Canadian diplomats that could be in India uh, would need to be the same as the number of Indian diplomats allowed in Canada. And this is particularly uh, impacting international education motivations and moves in that now Indian students in Canada or India students in Canada or looking at Canada from back home are now um, uneasy about whether or not the Canadian government will be able to uh, accept them into their country uh, for study. Uh, there's uh, the practical reality of 40 of its diplomats are being expelled uh, to meet this parity goal and that will, those folks in India that do the, do the study permits for uh, Indian students looking to study in Canada, if those numbers are significantly reduced, are they going to be able to accept uh, as many as they have been able to in the past. Uh, Canada uh, has India as its number one source country for international students at its, at its vocational colleges uh, and universities. So what is, that, how, what is the impact of that? So the largest market in Canada is a, could potentially collapse. I'm not saying it will, but it, there's, there's danger that there will be some significant negative implications because of this re recent political tit-for-tat. So we're, we've, we see this regularly around the world. Uh, we saw when, uh, when President Trump took office in the U.S. in 2017, the day, after, day of his inauguration, he announces the, what, what became famous as the Muslim travel bans to seven Muslim-majority countries. And that impact was felt far beyond those three uh, countries that are those seven countries that were under that ban list that it had ripple effects uh, throughout the wider Muslim world. Uh, you now are in a position where there may be implications with what's happening between Israel and Hamas about uh, uh, the implications to uh, travel to the region, study abroad students that are living, uh, that might be in that region are no longer going. We've had to cancel our spring uh, program in Haifa for, for UNLV uh, for our students to go there. Uh, others have uh, also canceled programs. Most universities have canceled their programs in the region. Uh, particularly Israel, uh, Lebanon, perhaps Egypt even as well. Uh, and there's danger of that spilling over into a larger area. So there's a lot world events happen and impact the pandemic happened and impacted everybody. Shut borders, shut travel uh, that uh, put everybody in bubbles for two, about a part of two years. Uh, all of these, all of this is to say that diversification, and that's the focus of the article. There's some great content in here from uh, interviews with uh, with Fanta Ah, who's the president, uh, the C executive director, CEO of NAFSA. Uh, there's just some wonderful content in here that speaks to the challenges that we all have in international student recruitment, uh, and that we're at the mercy, in a lot of ways, to world events that are completely beyond our control or predictions. And that is a challenge when uh, we we have say a bumper crop of applicants that were admitted from Nigeria for the fall for the, from, from the U.S. to the U.S. Uh, from Nigeria that uh, with the collapse of the Naira that impacts their ability to come and even get visas. Uh, we, I was just spent last week in Uzbekistan at the South Central 
South Central Asia Regional Forum for Education USA in Tashkent. And we've many universities in the U.S. have experienced large increases in Uzbek applicants and uh, maybe a large numbers of students you've issued I-20s to, but then are getting denied visas. Uh, the uh, Visa success rate in Uzbekistan is only at about 37% for applicant visa applicants, F1 student visa applicants. We learned from the consular officers there that, hey, the challenges are real, that uh, their fears that they're going to return. Their overstay rates uh, are very high in the United States uh, in, compared to the, uh, the international average. So the fear is that they're not going to come back, that they're going to stay in the U.S. and become truck drivers. They don't really want to become students. They want to be over-the-road truck drivers. So really uh, some interesting uh, factors that impact what we do in terms of our attempts to diversify. We start getting these large pockets of Ethiopian applicants last year as well. Does that mean we're going to get suddenly uh, dozens of Ethiopians on our campus? No. Uh, we got maybe one or two this year. So we are l always looking to get into other markets. That's one of the reasons we travel. That's one of the reasons we explore partnerships with agents in particular markets that maybe do uh, specific events with Education USA and an up-and-coming market that we're working with national governments uh, that have scholarship programs. We're trying to be selective in where we're putting our feet in toes in the, in the mar in waters that we might not normally travel in or be exposed to, but in an attempt to bring a more diverse group of international students to our campuses. The harsh realities of international education are that because we're beholden to ever-changing political mores, economic, economic impacts of uh, currency devaluations and collapses, uh, worldwide inflation, uh, to global conflicts, regional conflicts that impact what we do, and the ability of us, our, our, our professionals and students that we're looking to recruit to even be able to get out of their own countries. There's so many variables that factor in here that when it comes to the bottom line of, of our efforts to diversify our, where our students are coming from, a lot of it's hit and miss. And a lot of it is we can do, we can be invested in new markets for two, three, four years like you really need to be to see returns. And then all of a sudden something can come along and, and totally erase all those efforts with uh, changing uh, uh, government leadership in a particular country, if they take a, a substantially anti-Western stance, then that really might limit the ability of students to get out. Or it might be, contribute to becoming more of a push factor for students to want to leave. So there's all sorts of variables that we can't really predict. There's data out there that will support where students are coming, are, have, are coming from that are in the U.S. right now that will maybe give you some trend data over time. But to get predictive data, you'll know that in certain markets there's a, a uh, study portals, for example, their data does uh, provide some uh, really useful content on terms of our, where's the where's the gap in terms of the demand for a particular academic program and uh, careers in a particular field. Where's the demand not being met by the supply of universities in that country? And that might be an indicator of that's a market that you might want to invest in for uh, either on, on the ground recruitment to bring students to your institution from that country or potentially explore opportunities for online education. So there's real, uh, there is some of that data out there that might help you in a particular country market to a better to, uh, to students, but it's not always going to be a guarantee in terms of uh, getting you what you need. So I'm running really long today, and I haven't even gotten to the last question. But that's uh, that article from uh, uh, in the Pi Review is uh, certainly well worth a read, and it'll, it'll cover a lot of ground for you. And I think it's it's something that's um, that uh, is 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 it's a continuous battle for us all in international education. 
and uh, certainly encourage all my colleagues to, to read that if they haven't already. Final question, I'll, I'll, I'll co just cover this one briefly, uh, and it's the value of surveys uh, that out in the wider world. Uh, we're always beholden to the next best survey that comes out about prospective student attitudes. And uh, you, when you get those kinds of surveys, uh, my colleague Ben, uh, ben Waxman at INTED, he always co uh, comments on these. Uh, it, these student survey, prospective student surveys in particular, can tell you it can vary wildly depending on, on where, where they are, what the, the and anyone who's got a statistician background will tell you the sample size, the number of, uh, the range of countries that are covered will often impact uh, the results that you see in color and, and uh, making broad generalizations off any of those kind of prospective student surveys is not always the wisest thing to do. But some survey data is, 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 is more equal than others uh, in terms of, uh, terms of value and when it comes to satisfaction surveys. Now there's a couple out there that uh, most of you will have heard of. The iGraduate uh, Student Barometer uh, is one of those that looks at current students enrolled in institutions around the world and their opinions on their country, on the quality of education, all of that. But there's another one that uh, recently came out, and it's a student satisfaction survey. ISEF Monitor's article uh, that's in the chat uh, uh, talks about um, the major destinations uh, in, in the world and how they're viewed. Uh, there's an interesting chart about average satisfaction rates, and uh, the actual top three countries, all in Europe, none of which are the ones you think they are. Maybe Germany might impact in that, but Hungary, Germany, and Portugal all rank ahead of the U.S. Uh, as the, the largest of the top four uh, major destinations, U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia. Uh, Germany, Hungary, and Portugal all rate higher in terms of average satisfaction for 2023 as opposed to um, 2021 results, so the last time the, the survey was done. Uh, they each uh, increased uh, since that 2021, again, during the pandemic, so not, not, no surprise that those numbers were down. But of the largest destinations, U.S. has come up from 4.19 to 4.32, so it's a healthy jump there of the larger countries. The U.S. U.K. was flat. Australia lost a little ground. Canada gains in slightly 0.04 percent. So on the on not percent, but 0.04 on the average satisfaction score. So. These are, I think, more valuable. I mean, this, uh, this is a, a study of 126,000 students in top study destinations, over 126 countries in terms of where students were studying. Uh, and I think that um, it's a one, finally, we have, for the U.S. has some good news on the student satisfaction front that maybe students don't have as high a view of us in the past uh, in terms of prospective students coming to, the, to us versus the U.K., Canada, Australia. But in terms of the students that actually are in our schools, international students that are studying on our campuses, the um, questions on admissions process, student-teacher interaction, student diversity, quality of student life, online class experience, and career development, those are the topics that were really uh, part of this student satisfaction survey do rate the U.S. the highest of the four top major destinations. And so good, good to see, uh, finally, a U.S. coming out on top on one of these surveys uh, after a while. Uh, where where we've seen uh, our success uh, on the particularly in the missions process improve, and this is something that we uh, we know our process is more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, everything's diverse, different, and depending on your institution, even within institutions at the graduate level, it's different per program. So all sorts of challenges in in this in this regard. But do these student satisfaction surveys matter? 
Yes. And should they matter? Yes, because it'll help inform you as to what some of these bigger macro issues are that are being tracked uh, and asked about and how you can potentially make those priorities for your own institution in terms of improving kind of mirroring some of these questions that you, that these global surveys are asking. Ask your own students these. And that's, are you doing that, for one? And are you doing student satisfaction surveys with your international graduates uh, at, at, or international students while they're on campus? Like walk them through the different uh, steps in, that you want to gauge their your institution's success in, in meeting their needs and satisfying their needs. So always valuable content coming out of these, these kind of surveys of st current students. And I, I, I certainly put a lot more weight on those than I do the prospective student surveys. But really, um, thank you all for being a part of the conversation today. I really appreciate your time taking to uh, to meet with us uh, virtually uh, live and those watching on repeat obviously thanks for making us a part of your weekly international edification so uh, that's all for this week we look forward to chatting with you again next Wednesday all the best cheers <laughs>